Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Hopefully you are doing well. Everybody good? Good, good, good. Yes. Good week. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little jet lagged, so I try, I'm going to try to talk fast. <laughs> and you laugh, but if not, I get really, really slow and takes forever. But um, I had a great trip. Um, it took about, I think it was 44 of us that went to Israel. And it was a great time. I have never baptized people when it was 50 degrees outside. Yeah. And some of you clap, but yeah. Yeah, 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 you got baptized. And so, uh, man, that was quite the, oh, we're awake. And so anyhow, uh, but uh, he had a great trip, great time. Got to see a lot of really cool stuff. And hopefully we'll continue to do those again and in and, and the future that you'll come and be a part and, and uh, do all of that. And so um, I, I encourage you, if you've not been on, that wasn't a, really a missions trip, but if you haven't been on a life church trip, the great thing about it is not just the ministry that you're doing or what you're getting to go and see and be a part of, but it's the relationships. You get to connect with people, get to know people, they get to know you. And so it's just, that's one of the upsides for me is just getting to kind of, uh, it was Tammy's first time to go. And so that was cool to see it through her eyes, but then just to be able to connect with people and see and know and, and just get to spend some time together. And so again, I, I encourage you on, there's, there are trips literally uh, in the U.S. and then around the world that we go on that you can go and be a part of. And it was great. And uh, somebody said, you know, we were, they were concerned about hey, what was happening in, in Iraq and Iran and all of that was happening. And, and uh, you were like a world away. There was not any issues or anything and, and uh, no concerns, no alarms. I wish I was going to tell you there was something crazy that happened, but it didn't. Uh, quite frankly. And so Israel is probably one of the most safe places in the world to go. And somebody asked me about it. And I just said, you know, it'd be like when the Serbian-Croatian uh, crisis was going on and the war was going on uh, in, in that Baltic area to, to, to be in Rome. It was just a world away, although you're closer to the action there than what we would have been. And so uh, anyhow, good, good, good stuff and a great trip and good to be back and all that good stuff. And so we're in this series on invisible matter. So I want to talk to you about love today. Is that all right? Good? No, everybody's like, no, I was to talk about love. Talk about marriage. Talk about that. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read one verse of scripture here to kind of launch us into this. And uh, but we're going to talk about uh, marriage, and uh, we're in this series on invisible matters about the, the things in our life, the characteristics in our life, the, the, the qualities that are there, the things that God wants to do in our lives that uh, maybe uh, you don't see on the surface, that are, but that are below uh, the surface. And, and so I want to talk about marriage today. Now, when I say that, anybody that's single in the room is like, <sighs> Either I just got out of a relationship, I don't want to be in a relationship, you know, uh, hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song. I mean, it's just like, I just, just let's don't. But what I know is, is that, is that we're probably, most of us in this room, if we're not married, are probably going to be married uh, at some point in our lives or be in, in a marital relationship like that. Um, and so this is just some good things to, even if you're 
you're 12 and you're like, oh, my, my voice is changing. And, and you've got your first chest hair and you're excited. And, and marriage is so far away. Again, these are just things I remember as a kid being raised in church and hearing teaching. And it made you think and frame uh, a God value centered view of marriage and of relationships and what that should be like and what it looks like. And uh, in a world where it competes for our attention and competes for all that, I think that's, that's very valid. Then the rest of us that are in this room, we're married. And whether you've been married for a very short amount of time or you're, you know, you're, you're engaged, it feels like, like, it feels like there's like 30 couples in the church that have gotten engaged it, it, since I've been gone. And it's not quite that many, but I mean, there, there's a lot of love is in the air here. So it's like, hey, we probably need to talk about this a little bit. So there's more weddings going on, things like, you know, that, you know, which I think is great. And a day and age where people are, are, are out of God's will and are trying to live together and trying to sexually experiment and then say, well, if this works out sexually and there's a good sexual chemistry and da-da-da-da-da, then maybe we'll get into a committed relationship and we'll, we'll move in together. And then from there, we'll, you know, after we play house, which is that's all that really is, then, then we'll actually, you know, do it God's way and we'll get married and kind of go from there. And if that's you, I hope this message convicts you. I don't hope, I'm not trying to be controversial or be confrontive with you, but I, again, I didn't write the book. I don't get editorial privilege, but God's just how God's word designs it. And so sometimes you want God to bless what you're doing instead of doing what he's blessing. And you wonder why God's blessings aren't there. It's because he wrote it a particular way because the creator knows that's the best of creation. And so I think it's great to see young men and women that are doing it God's way and are, are saying, hey, I'm going to find that person that I feel like God has for me, and I'm going to take some time, and then I'm going to get engaged, and then we're going to get married, and then we're going to live together and do it the way God wants to do it. And God created sex. Yay, God. Amen? No? You people are just, you're either dead or you're lying. I don't know what it is. But uh, anyhow, so, I mean, so it's, this is not an anti-sex message. It's, it's really very much a, a let's, how does God say to do this? And so whether you're single or you're married, I think there's principles that apply. And, uh, and so, because here's the deal, everyone that says I do has a desire and intention for lifelong love. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and the reality though is after that honeymoon phase is over and it's kind of like you lost that love and feeling, it's gone, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. And then reality sets in, this is when I'm not happy, he doesn't make me happy, she's driving me nuts, we're up to our yin-yang in debt, you know, I got a mortgage and an SUV and what do I do? And, and, and then comes questions like, you know, how do you do this? And can you make it last a lifetime? And I know grandma and grandpa did, but maybe in the 21st century, it doesn't work that way. Or what about our differences? Or did God really expect us to be one? And if so, how do we do this? And that's what I want to talk about is, is, is this oneness for a lifetime. How do two people that can be completely radically different come together and be one? How does that happen? Is that just something found in scripture that doesn't work in the 21st century? Is it a fairy tale? Is it fictitious or does it actually work? And if so, how do you make it happen? Genesis chapter two, verse 24, God said this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold 
fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is way easier preached than it is lived. But the reality is, is that this isn't easy, nor does it seem that all marriages are created equal. But this is God's intention for you and for me. And so Dr. Ed Young Sr., great pastor, Second Baptist in, in Houston, Texas, says there's three types of marriages. I, I came across as I thought this was great. First, there, there are what he calls Hawaii marriages. Hawaii marriages. These are states, right? So I said it like you heard it. Uh, these are relationships are warm. They're romantic. They're growing. They're beautiful. Think of hammocks, he says. Hawaii marriages are great. Second kind of marriage are Colorado marriage. They're bitterly cold in the winter, but they're crisp and beautiful in the summer, kind of like Wisconsin. You know what I'm talking about? Colorado marriages are up and down, but on average, they're lukewarm. Then there's what he calls the North Pole marriages. It's total tundra. It's hard, no emotions, mechanical, dead, lifeless, and boring. And these marriages are basically just an endurance battle. Now, I'm not going to ask you <laughs> which marriage you have. I think it's best probably, too, to make sure that when I'm kind of unpacking a few of these things of how do we live out chapter, 20, chapter 2, verse 24, uh, not to elbow your spouse. That's not going to help you at all. Amen. <laughs> That's just some good advice right there. Or to get in the car and say, see, I've been telling you this. The pastor's <laughs> agreeing with me. Um, but how do you stay together for a lifetime? Now, I don't like preaching messages like this for two reasons. Number one, typically I have to live a sermon before I preach it or after I preach it or both. So I don't ever like coming from the posture of, hey, I know everything. Come follow me and I will make you. That's what Jesus said. I'm not Jesus. Amen. And so... My wife just said a big amen on that one. And so the reality is I, I don't like it for that reason. Um, and the second thing is, is, is that I know that there are people that are here that you have been um, around. You've been married a, a long, long, long time, maybe even longer than I've been alive. And, and, but at 48, uh, Tammy and I on Tuesday, the 28th, will celebrate 25 years of being married. So that's great. And uh, don't applaud, just throw money. No, I'm just teasing. Um, that's jet lag. If I say anything wrong, it's just jet lag, okay? Uh, but the reality is, is there's a couple things along the journey that I've kind of picked up on. I didn't originate, I didn't come up with, but I have applied and they've worked. And how for these two to become one. Because these are what I would call, we're in this series on invisible matters. These are the invisible matters. These are the invisible ingredients of a marriage of one. You, you, you can't buy these ingredients. They're not automatic. Uh, none of this stuff is automatic. They, they, they've got to be intentionally grown and developed in your life. And so, and this is where if you're single, let me say this. This is where this is really, really great. Because the reality is, is that you can grow the character that you need to be the person that you want to be, that you really want to marry. Because you're going to attract, law of attraction, you're going to attract who and what you are. So if you're a pretty jacked up person, guess what? You're probably going to attract somebody relatively jacked up. I know that's really deep, but it, just let that sink in for a minute. If you're a pretty together person, you're going to attract someone probably pretty together. If you don't like your spouse, that's who you attracted. 
So to a certain degree, it's not all on them. It's you too, right? And so, I mean, this, this, guy, this knife cuts both ways. And so I think sometimes we try to project onto someone else a level of perfection and efficiency and optimization that we ourselves don't, don't have. And, and so don't look out, look, look, look first at yourself. But these are some ingredients that I just think we walk through. So and they're all biblically based. I'm going to give you scriptures, but, but there's, there's just a couple of these that I want to give today. So first is, is, is this the first invisible ingredient of marriage is acceptance. Acceptance. Romans chapter 15, verse 7 says, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us. Statistics show that 70% of people that are married are opposite. You're an extrovert, you marry an introvert. Uh, you, you're, you're a person that, 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 that loves to spend money. You, you, you marry someone who's a complete saver and an opposite. Uh, you, you're someone who wants to always be on the go and you, and you, you marry a homebody. 70% of marriages we're told statistically speaking are where people marry opposites. And, and so the reality is, is you're different from your spouse. My advice, according to God's word is accept it. it don't try to change someone. Don't try to modify someone. Don't try to, 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 to go in and play the mad, mad scientist with somebody. Literally just go, you know what? That's who they are. Um, that's, that's, and, and, and maybe that's them and that's not you. And, and that's okay. It, it, it's, it's completely okay. No one's right. No one's wrong. You're just different. And actually the reason why God, and many times you opposites do attract is because God has given you someone to compliment you, not to compete with you. But whether they compliment you or they compete with you in your marriage is completely dependent upon you and how you cultivate and work and develop that relationship. So, so again, it's, it's acceptance that this is what you need. This is what they need. And so trying to, trying to go, Hey, that's okay. Like, so for me, and I'm just going to talk about me and Tammy, because again, if I talk about you, you're going to get mad and upset. And if I talk about Tammy, she may get mad and upset, but we've been married 25 years so we can overcome it. So anyhow, but the reality is, is she's a total introvert. She, she's very introverted. You don't, you see her as, oh no, and I've said that to people and they're like, Tammy, I'm like, yeah, Tammy, like I said to Tammy one time, I said, you know, we had that conversation, you know, if, if, if I were to die, would you remarry? If you were to die, would you remarry? Which is never a great conversation, but it came up. And I said to her, I said, if you, if I were to die, would you remarry? I mean, I'm pretty great. I don't know where you'd find this again, but you know, whatever. That was her response to which... She said, oh, no, oh, no, you, I'd, I'd have two Labradors. No, no, no question. I'm, oh, great, I'm going to be replaced by a dog. That's really great. <laughs> no, two dogs, Aaron, actually, two. And so the difference is, is that, like, I could be on the go all the time. I love to be on the go. I, I love to sit and talk with people. I love to be out. I drive a great amount of energy from being out and about. She, it drains her. And so for her, she, she's very, no, she could be at home and she's got her books. And if you're in her Bible study, I'm just telling you, you, she studies like gazillion times more than I do. I mean, she's just way smarter than I am. And, but she loves all of that. She loves to read. I, I don't want to read the book. I want to watch the movie and popcorn and a Coke, right? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's it. I just like, and, and let's all go do it together. Why, why can't we? And so the reality is, is that we're different. But, but 
if I try to make her me, I'm going to destroy part of her that I found so attractive. Because she's smart, she's intelligent, she's reflective. Why? Because she's very much internal in that way. And, in, and the truth of the matter is, if she tries to make me like her, she'll destroy part of me that drives a certain amount of energy and, and fuel in my tank with being with people. That's how God created me to be. So we figure out what works for her, what works for me. So giving me the freedom, the flexibility to be able to go and do some things that God's really put in my heart, but me not having the expectation that she's got to go and do everything with me. Just accept. And that way we complement each other. We don't compete with one another. And therefore, we continue to develop being the one that God called us to be. Second is, is, is attention. We're talking about having a marriage where the two become one. It's about attention. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says, Fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently, passionately love one another from the heart. You have to give attention to whomever it is that you love. Your spouse is the object or should be the object of your attention and your affection, not your children. And this flies in the face of, of, of a lot of activity that happens in the world in which we live in. But guess what? Your kids are the product of your affection, not the object of your affection. Your spouse should be the object of your affection, not the product of your affection. So the reality is, is that, is that those kids, you are to teach and to train them to leave. We just read it. Amen. I'm preaching way better than you're shouting. Amen. So because, because again, it's, it's that a man should leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife, and the two become one. The reason why a lot of younger generation can't become one is because mom and dad don't let them leave so they can cleave to whom God's called them to, to, to be to. And the reason why they don't want the kids to leave and to cleave to someone else is because they've become the object of their affection rather than the product of their affection, and now they're looking across the table with someone with whom they fell in love with years ago, had children with, but no longer have kept that relationship alive. For 25 years, Tammy and I regularly have a date night. And when the kids were in school and money's tight, it was a date day because guess what? The kids were in school, was a free babysitter. And so my day off is on Friday. So on Friday, we would go at 10 o'clock with all the other senior citizens, amen. And, and, and we would go on our date and then go to lunch. And that's, but it was our time to be together to talk about what was going on in our world because guess what? We had this growing church that demanded a lot of our time. I'll never forget one Christmas. We had pneumonia, both of us, a doctor says you need to be in bed for three weeks and be around other people. And I laughed. I said, I've got seven Christmas Eve services. There's just no way we can do this. I, I, I'll ha I can rest in January, but if it kills me, I got to do this in December. I got these two little kids. Uh, I, I've got my in-laws and the outlaws and everybody coming in to, to the house where we were at. And, 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 and it's just, this is just life. And so, but we, you have to fight to make that person, to give that attention, to be able to communicate love with that person. And with you, because at some point in time, those kids should leave. And, and when they leave, then they're going to cleave to someone else. And so if you don't have that relationship, 
This is the reason why people in, at our stage in the ball game and that 25 year mark, all of a sudden our youngest is graduating high school this year and that she's gonna go off to university in the fall and our, our oldest is married. And so the reality is it's just her and I, and I keep saying we need to scale down to a one bedroom efficiency that way nobody can come back home. Amen. <laughs> Ava's like, no way. So anyhow, so, but the reality of all of that is, is that we have this relationship where we're excited about the opportunities and the life that we're having at this next season. Not that we don't passionately love our kids, we do. And I'm a big softy. I mean, I'm just, you know, like, I mean, just, but, but at the same, they're not the object of my affection, Tammy is. They're the product. Now, grandkids may be a totally different conversation, but, but I'm just saying at this stage in the ball game, that's what's going on. Attention. I just want to recommend a resource to you. Gary Chapman, this book's been around for a long time, but it's called The Five Love Languages. Everybody, I'm telling you, if you're married, should read this book. I think it's at the Resource Center. If it's not, you can pick it up on Amazon. It's cheap, paperback. Five Love Languages. Gary Chapman is his name. Because you've got to make sure that as you're giving that attention, that you're communicating in a way that's valuable to you. Like, here's something that's interesting. When I, we first married, I'd bring home flowers, and Tammy would say, thank you. But she never really seemed overjoyed about it. And I'm thinking, you know how much I paid for those flowers? I mean, like, what? What's the deal? And this, I thought I'm doing the right thing, and this whole deal, and I'm young and married, and that kind of a deal. Thanks, I appreciate it. It's really nice. And she knew I was, it was a thought that counts, blah, 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 blah. So we have a conversation. I go, hey, you don't really seem like you're doing backflips when I do these flowers. And I don't mean to sound like an, like an, like an, old, an, an old codge, but I mean, hey, I, I, you know how much those cost? And, uh, and she goes, do you want to know the truth? I said, yeah. She goes, I don't really don't like flowers. What? Yeah, but I don't want to hurt your feelings and tell you because I know that it really means a lot to you. And so I just kind of smile and go on. And that's kind of what you're picking up on. It just, that is not my love language. So I don't do flowers. Now, I found out purses are her love language, which are way more expensive than flowers. And I wish I'd have never asked that question. But do you understand what I'm saying? So sometimes we can be doing things to go, well, I'm, I'm giving her flowers. Why isn't she happy? Well, she's allergic to them and she doesn't like them or whatever it may be. Tammy's allergic to flowers, but you understand what I'm saying? So it's, it's figuring that out and saying, I'm going to choose to passionately love this other person. Next, adjustment. Adjustment. This isn't a chiropractic trick. This is adjustment. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You're not going to change your mate. You're not going to change your spouse. Only God can change someone. You have to learn how to adjust to one another. It's the guy, the, I, I heard, a, you know, a guy said one time about being married. He goes, man, preacher, this, 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 this marriage thing, it's killing me. And to that response, I said, it's supposed to. <laughs> and he looked and I said, it, it's the end of you. The two become one. If you want to do it your way right away, kind of like Burger King, and you want, you want to do what you want to do, how you want to do, then say single. 
But when the two of you say, I do, and you say for better, for worse, and I promise till death do us part, when the two of you have those, it's going to kill you because in order for the both of you to become one, it has to be the ending of your individuality and the beginning of your wholeness of one together. And I know there's psychology out there that just says, yeah, but you need to take care of yourself. And, and the, but they also tell you that you're to find your identity in yourself, which is a bunch of hoo-ha because it doesn't work. Because our identity is to be found in Christ and Christ alone. Man, I, I'm a jacked up mess. But when Jesus, I know this is my purpose and this is my calling. And, and how am I so confident? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus says he didn't even find his own identity in himself. He found it in the Father. And every time he was asked about what he was doing here, he would go back to, for this cause I was born, would to be the Savior of the world. But, and, and, and anytime somebody tried to push him and beyond his identity or beyond his role, or they tried to speed it up, he would be, no, 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 the time hasn't come and the father hasn't released this and, and I'm under the father and I'm in the father and the father's in me. It's that whole John chapter 15 abiding in the vine. And so the reality is, is, that, is that I have to come to the end of me in order for we to exist. And what happens in marriages a lot of times is I still want me and we, and you don't get it that way. It's either got to be you or it's y'all. You understand what I'm saying? To use a good Southern euphemism. It's either going to be me or it's going to be we. And I chose a long time ago that it wasn't going to be about me. It was going to be about we. And again, I get this in scripture, but I also learned this from a dad who I remember one day uh, in college when I was on the way to with my dad and I was, dad worked in a factory and my whole life. And so I was working that summer job at the, at the factory and, and it was, uh, we were working uh, four 10 hour shifts and, and it was, I don't know, 4.30 in the morning getting there for a five o'clock shift. And I remember looking at my dad going, why on God's green earth have you done this job? Like this is the most monotonous 60 units a day job. We're building air conditioners in an unair-conditioned building. Tell me what sense that makes. Again, I'm all of like 19, right? And I'm just trying to, and I've got all the answers in the world. I've got my freshman year of college under my belt and I just think I'm fixing to change everything. And my dad looked at me and gave me some of the best wisdom I've ever had when it comes to being a dad, being a father, being a husband. He goes, simple have responsibilities. I made choices and decisions called, I married your mother and I had you boys and I'm responsible. And that's what a man does. He makes his promises and he keeps them. He preached a sermon to me that morning at 4.30 in the morning on the way to that, that factory that I will never forget for the rest of my life. I lost my rights a long time ago. This is no longer about me, it's about we. It's no longer about what I want. It's about what's in Tammy's best interest and what's in Ava's best interest and what's in Anna's best interest. What's in our family's best interest. And the problem is, is that me and we cannot peacefully coexist. I have to adjust. I have to kill me in order for we to survive. Forgiveness. I'd love to tell you that I'm perfect and that I've done this flawlessly, but you would know I'm lying. And if I said that, my wife would come up and go, let me have the microphone. Let me, I'll explain a couple things to you. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. He has to play the God card on that one, doesn't he? God's forgiven you, therefore go forgive someone else. In marriage, there has to be timeouts. It's, we're not discussing this anymore. I made a mistake. I, 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 I fell short. I'm sorry. Own it. And in doing so, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. To which, what Paul will write to the church in Ephesus are words we should remember and should practice. To forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. We all need grace. All of us. We all say things that we wish we could take back. We all make choices and decisions in the heat of a moment that we wish we could redo. We all wish we could kind of get a mulligan. None of us are perfect. We all deal with our own junk internally, our own demons, our own issues, our own whatever. And so we've got to learn how to forgive. If you're going to stay married and stay together, you've got to learn how to forgive. Because that person is a person just like you, and they're going to hurt you intentionally and unintentionally. And, 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 and you're going to intentionally and unintentionally say and do things in a relationship and a marriage and a home that, man, you wish you could take back. But you can't. And, and the worst thing you can do is, is either what I call play hurt because you're scared of getting hurt. So you're just going to, because you don't really allow it to heal. You just try to protect it and try to ignore it and act like it doesn't exist. Or, 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 you, or, or you don't release it and you don't forgive yourself. I love what Jesus says to the woman that's caught in adultery. She's brought in to the very center court. Her accusers are all standing around. They're trying to trip Jesus up. We actually, this past week, we saw the spot, the area where they said that this probably could have happened. And they said, what do we do with her? I mean, she's literally brought from the bed in which she's having an extramarital affair to the court, to the, to the center, to the city, to the street. And Jesus begins to write in the dust. We don't know what he wrote. We all can conjecture on that. And one by one, they dropped their rocks from where they were going to stone her and they left her until there's no one else around. And Jesus looks at her and says, where are your accusers? And he said, neither do I accuse you. So go and sin no more. We all need grace. And if you're going to stay married, the two are going to be one. You're going to have to give each other grace. Because guess what? You're not perfect. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Paul says in the book of Romans that no one's righteous. Not one of us. So where's the grace? Where's the forgiveness? Sometimes we can have grace for everybody else in the world, but not the people under our own roof. 
And the last thing I want to end with is encouragement. Encouragement. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. I think you should be your spouse's biggest fan. Don't, there's no need to nag, we need to brag. You know, we need to, we need to appreciate one another. We need to find the things and call the things out in them that we love and that we appreciate. When was the last time you looked at your spouse, your husband or your wife, and you just said, I just wanna tell you, I think this is amazing about you. I just want you to know that this was one of the things that attracted me to you. I just want you to know this is one of the characteristics of the virtues that you have that I so admire. Well, I have a hard time expressing myself verbally. Well, then write it down. When was the last time you just did that? Maybe the most spiritual thing you would do today is not come to church, not sing and lift your hands in worship and open God's word or give an offering, but look at your spouse. Remember, God instituted the family before he ever instituted the church and just tell them, this is, you are God's gift to me and this is something that you do that I so appreciate. It can be as simple as they make the coffee. My wife does not drink coffee, but she makes coffee in our house. And we call it the coffee fairies, what I call it. And because uh, it's always there. And it's just one of those little things that she does. And she doesn't drink coffee at all. Doesn't like the smell of it, doesn't like anything about it. But she decided a long time ago that she knew I was a big coffee drinker and this is just something she wanted to do. And so it's just something that she's done. She doesn't have to. I don't demand that she does it. You know, it's not that kind of a deal. It's just this is what she does. But every day I get up and that coffee's there because I can tell you the days it's not, I miss her, right? Amen. And, um, but it's just, it's just one of those small, what appreciation. We live in a world that so tears down over and over and over. We need to champion one another. We need to be each other's biggest encourager. If we would spend the energy in keeping our spouse that we used to try to win and woo our spouse before we were married, how much different would life be? I get it. Life happens. I get it. You're going 90 miles an hour. I get it. Kids and school and, and, and soccer games and football games and this and that and bills. And I, I get sickness and I, I get, but I'm just saying God's design was that a man would leave his mother and his father and would cleave to his wife and they would become one. God's made provision. You and I have to work his plan. Invisible ingredients that make a difference that last a lifetime. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you put things in scripture that are so far beyond us, but yet you help us to be able to, to get there, to attain it. And I pray for every marriage. God, every marriage, Lord, that you would help in the struggle, help make up the difference. Help us look into our own self first before we look to the spouse 
What do I need to change? What do I need to adjust? What do I need to do? How encouraging am I? How adjusting am I? How accepting am I? How much attention am I getting? When was the last time that I did something that was supportive or encouraging, kind, loving? God, help us to look inward. Let us crucify ourselves. Take up our cross and follow you. Let us suppress and crucify the flesh and the self of me so that we can flourish, so that we can grow, so that we can be what you've called us to be. These, are, these invisible matters truly do matter. And they produce in our lives individually, in our marriages, in our homes, Your word says that the blessings of a godly home don't just go to one generation, but they go to the second and to the third and to the fourth generations. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.